Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. To see everybody out today, I know it's uh, uh, probably a, a bit of a different Sunday for us with Christmas and people traveling and, and some sick, but we're glad you're here. And I'm going to have you turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Um, Luke chapter 2 is our text today. And I wrestled around today with, with an introduction. So many different thoughts came through my mind to use as an introduction for Christmas. But I thought a very simple statement made by Martin Luther kind of sums up Christmas. The mystery of humanity of Christ that he sunk himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. I think that sums up Christmas best. That God again, that God would become a man, become an infant, become vulnerable. And we don't know how all that works out. He was always God. He never surrendered his deity. 100% God, 100% man, and that God out of loved us so much. And here's the key. Even though we were sinners, some churches today now teach, evangelical churches, they emphasize this, is that you are so special that God died for you. And although that sounds good, it's not biblical. The Bible says, even though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Rebellious, enemies of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Even though that, God's love is so vast, he loved us by sending his son to this earth and eventually would die on the cross. Now, the thing with Christmas that is so neat and the, and the story of the birth of Christ is there's so many applications. There's so many different, when I look at this passage in Luke uh, chapter 2, there's so many different ways you could go. But, but I believe God led me this way for four points today. So I would call this, you could say the, the world's four S's of Christmas are Santa, snow, shopping, and stress. Okay? Uh, and there's probably a million other things we could say. The Bible's four S's of Christmas is the sovereignty of God and our submission to his sovereignty. Secondly, the sanctifying work of God. You'll see in this story that God is working uh, to sanctify, and it's usually through hardship. The servants of God. We'll see who are the servants of God. And then finally, of course, the salvation of God. Christmas really is about the salvation of God. So let's, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll consider the four S's of Christmas. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for each person being here. It's your divine appointment, Lord. You preordained this before the foundations of the earth. And that comforts us because we know we're supposed to be here. And we know that despite my uh, human frailties and weakness and shortcomings, 
you will use me, Lord, to proclaim a message that you want us to hear. Martin Luther, again, Martin Luther said that if you want to hear from God, then open the word of God. So we're going to hear from you today. And we trust because uh, we have the spirit of God. Those of us that have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the spirit of God in us. The third person of the Trinity. And he teaches us and he applies this message to our lives. And so we need to hear from you today. So our hearts are open. Speak to us, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The sovereignty of God. Micah, you don't have to turn there. Micah 5 to a great prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That's a prophecy that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And it's interesting to note, it says, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Jesus Christ did not come into existence at the incarnation. He became the God-man. He's from eternity past because he's the second part of the Trinity. He's from everlasting. He never, he never came into being. Jesus Christ always was and always will be. Now lay on your bed and fathom that because that blows your mind. God always was and always will be. Now, we have a problem here in Luke chapter 2. Because if you look on verse 4, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Joseph, who was not the human father, but was Mary's uh, espoused husband, okay, would be the father raised in Christ. Of course, Christ was born of a virgin, um, and the conception came through the Spirit of God because the sin nature is passed down from the fathers. And uh, Romans chapter 5 tells us that, and specifically, in Psalm chapter 51. But Joseph lived in Nazareth, which is about 100 miles from Bethlehem. So this prophecy says Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, but we've got a problem because Joseph lives 100 miles away from that in Nazareth. Now here's another problem. Here's a, here's, here's a bigger problem. Verse 5. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. By the way, that word betrothed does not mean engaged, not even close. Betrothed meant you were legally married, okay? You weren't yet together, but you were legally married, and the, and the husband had a year to get, get everything prepared for his, his, his wife. That's why Jesus says in John 14, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing because the church is the bride for Christ, the bride of Christ. So he's preparing the, the house, the home for, for the church. And keep in mind with God, a thousand, a thousand years is like a day, right? So anyway, side note. Now, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. So Mary, who was with child, and not only was she with child, she was ready to give birth. Okay. So see the problem? Why would Joseph and Mary say, hey, Let's travel down to Bethlehem. We'll travel over 100 miles. And, you know, you're nine months pregnant. But let's just travel down there anyway. They wouldn't. There's no way they would do that. 
Step in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out, out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, the Roman Empire ruled over basically the civilized world, right? So when the Caesar said, you go and be registered, then you go and be registered. Why did he do this? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king of the heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of waters, he turns it whatever way he wishes. So to fulfill that prophecy, God turns the heart of the king and puts on the heart of the king. And by the way, it also was in the heart of the king and his own free will that also wanted to do this. How does that work? I have no idea. But how does how is God always there? God always was and always will be. I don't understand that either. A lot of things we don't understand. We just accept it as true. But God moves in this king's heart to say, all the world must be registered. Why? Because I want Mary and Joseph down in Bethlehem. Because she's going to have to have, have a baby there, according to my prophecy. Isn't that amazing what God does? I mean, God is such a powerful God. He can, he can move to accomplish his will, and yet we still make that decision ourselves. It's amazing stuff. And that's why I had Mark read today. You probably wonder, why is he reading 1 Samuel chapter 26? Because that has nothing to do with Christmas. Well, by application, it does. Because, you see, God wants us, as a rule, to submit to authority. God uses authority to accomplish his will and our submission to it. You see, Mary and Joseph submitted to the authority. And then because they submitted to the authority, they would go to Bethlehem and they would fulfill the prophecy. Right. David. On two occasions. Could have killed Saul, but Saul was God's anointed. And I mean, David was egged on by his followers. It's like, let's just end this trial. He's God's anointed. I will submit to God. And when God wants to take Saul out and put me in the kingdom, he will do it. You see, submitting to authority takes faith. Because you're looking beyond that authority figure. Whether it's a teacher or a police officer or a governor or a parent or whoever it may be. You look beyond that person and look to a sovereign God and look to God's timing, which is so important. The Bible tells us in Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait on him. The Bible tells us in Isaiah verse 30, verse 18, that, that the Lord waits to be gracious and blessed are those that wait on him. To wait on God means that you are trusting in God. That you're sitting at God's feet. And while you're waiting, you're drawing close to God. And then God's perfect timing opens that door. And oftentimes, that is through authority. So God is sovereign. And we are to be submissive to the authority that he has set up. And he will work through that as a rule. Number two. We see here today the sanctifying work of God. When we get saved, God begins a process to make us more like Jesus Christ. 
morally. He's morally making us Christ. He's making us holy. He's making us pure. Jesus Christ was completely pure in his thoughts. Jesus Christ was completely pure in his actions. And God is trying to make us that way. It's a process. The Lord often uses hardship in our lives to do that. And I believe Christmas is a reminder of that. Now, look at verse 4. Joseph, because of this decree, also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Joseph was a descendant of David. And David was born in Bethlehem. And because of that, he had to go down to Bethlehem a, a hundred miles away and be registered. And the Bible tells us in verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So that's why we know that Mary was nine months pregnant. The trip probably would normally take about five days, but because Mary's pregnant, it may have taken twice that long. But she was ready to give birth. She made that journey. That's harsh. That's some hard, difficult circumstances. Not traveling by car, which would be hard enough. I had a... Um, read an article and I thought this was, which was interesting. Um, a man that, that um, is very familiar with the area and the, and the culture. And I want to just read what he says. This was a fairly grueling trip, said Strange, who annually leads an excavation team at the ancient city of Sepphoris near Nazareth. In antiquity, the most we find people traveling is 20 miles a day. And this trip was very much uphill and downhill. It was not simple. The unpaved hilly trails and harsh weather were not only hazards, not were not the only hazards Joseph and Mary would have faced on their journey south. One of the most terrifying dangers in ancient Palestine was the heavily forested valley of the Jordan River, said Strange. Lions and bears lived in the woods. And travelers had to fend off wild boars. Archaeologists have unearthed documents warning travelers of the forest dangers, he said. And bandits, pirates of the deserts and robbers uh, were also common hazards along the trade routes like the one Joseph and Mary would have traveled. And then he talks about their per provisions. And then he talks about the birth. He says this, it is widely agreed that Jesus was born in a cave used for housing animals. Strange believes overcrowded conditions in Bethlehem on the night of Jesus' birth would have resulted in others being close at hand during the delivery. So there's a crowd around. And there's, she gets there after traveling all those miles and the harsh conditions. You see the, see the idea there? This was no easy journey. This was not some glamorous thing sometimes we see in the movies. It was hardship. And God often uses trials 
and hardship in his children to make them more like Christ. Now go down to verse 35, if you would, please, to see again with Mary. Mary, When Mary was told that she was going to give birth to the Savior, Jesus Christ, she was ecstatic and obviously greatly honored. But there is a price to be paid with this as well. There is the stigma. You know, Mary was showing before she was with Joseph. That's why Joseph was going to put her away privately, because she could. He wasn't going to make a public spectacle of her. But Mary would have had that stigma all of her life in that culture of um, having had a baby prior to, to marriage. So she lived with that. But look at verse 35 as well. Simeon, speaking here, we'll look at this a little later, but look at verse 35. Yes, a sword will peace, and he's speaking to Mary, will peace through your own soul also. Could you imagine being the mother of Jesus Christ and raising him up as a child and seeing the beaten and the battering he took on the cross? See, it was a great honor, but there was a lot of hardship that was associated with this. And why does God do this? Why does God allow trials in our lives? Because he uses, oftentimes he uses those trials to make us more like Christ. Now, for example, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Let me show you. Romans chapter 5. It is through the hardship, it is through the difficulties that God draws us close to him and makes us more like Christ. Remember Paul with the thorn in the flesh. Some people think it was a very painful eye element based on some things he wrote in the book of um, Galatians. But Paul would tell us that three times he prayed that God would take get rid of this thorn in the flesh. Get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this. Who wants that problem? Nobody. But then Paul would later say that he would embrace it and glory in it. Why? Because it, it, when he's weak, then he is strong. When we're weak in ourselves, when we're broken in ourselves, we have the tendency more than to cling to God. That's why he wrote this in, in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, he's written in the past tense. Having once, and it's in the air sense. It means your salvation is, a, is an event. It's an event that took place. Boom. That's it. You're saved. Justified. It's settled. Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And positionally we stand in God's grace. Positionally we're saved. That cannot change. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now look what he says in verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. What? We glory in tribulations. Pressure, hardship, difficulty. That's the idea of that word. Why? Do we like that? No. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, endurance. You see, tribulations, God uses trials and tribulations like the things Mary would go through and Joseph would go through. 
He would use that to build them up and strengthen them spiritually. And that's what God does with us. Those tribulations are sent to make us more like Christ. And the Bible says this, and tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character. That word character is maturity. You see, as we walk with God through a number of years and we go through trials and tribulation and God brings us to the other side, there becomes a spiritual maturity. Things that used to bother us, we're able to handle much better. Sometimes we need to reflect upon that because our, our growth is so slow. It's almost like, you know, that, that relative that you see you know, haven't seen him in three years, and they say, oh, you look, you know, because you haven't seen him in three years. You don't see it every day. That's how it works with our, with our, our growth. We become mature. And then it says, and, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope is the word elpis, and it means confidence. We become confident that when we're heading through a trial and tribulation, I'm saying, we're, we're, like, we're not as shaky as we used to be because we're saying, God's going to get me through this. I have a confidence because I've seen what he's done before. And so the sanctifying work, if we go back to Luke chapter 2, God puts them through it. When we think of Christmas, we think of, we can think of the sanctifying work because God put Mary and Joseph through a lot of hardship. But that's out of love to make us more like Christ. Now, the servants of God. Look down in verse 8. The servants of God. First Corinthians chapter two, verse twenty-six. Brother Mark read uh, of that portion today. He read verse twenty-six. It says, "This for you see your calling, brethren." Now, calling we say we put in there salvation. You see your salvation, brethren. That not many wise, not many wise people are saved. Not many intellectuals get saved. There's some, but not many, according to the flesh. Not many mortal, mighty. That's where dunamis in the Greek. That's where you get our English word uh, for dynamite. Mighty. Influential. There's not many influential people that get saved. People of power. Noble people, so to speak. Not many. Uh, but influential. And then not many noble. So influential, mighty, but not many noble people of importance. People of royalty. People of prominence, people of famous families, so to speak. Not many get saved. It's interesting that Paul was probably one of them, right? Paul was extremely intelligent. He was wise. He was humble about it, but he was extremely intelligent. He had to be as a Pharisee. And you can tell by his writings. He was extremely intelligent. Uh, Paul was very influential. Paul was so influential, the high priest baby, the high priest basically gave him a blank check and said, You could do whatever you want to the Christians, to the way. He was very influential. And Paul was noble. His dad was uh, from Tarshish, and in that city you had to be of great wealth and prominence. So even though Paul wrote not many, he actually was one of them that got saved. So he was the exception and very interesting. But you see God uses some very humble people here in Christmas. Look at verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, so in the country of Judea, 
right, outside of Bethlehem. They're living out in the fields, okay, which probably shows you is an indication that Christ wasn't born on December 25th. So they probably wouldn't be living out the fields that time. Most, most scholars believe he was born the end of October, um, beginning of November. Uh, but anyway, they're out in the field. Shepherds were not, uh, that was not an occupation that when you look at and people would respect you for that occupation. Okay, You get all the way back to, to Joseph in Egypt when he told his brothers, don't tell the Egyptians you're shepherds because they despise shepherds. Right. So these are very humble, uh, nonchalant people. These are not people of royalty that are going to greet Christ. And behold, an angel of the Lord, verse 9, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid, which you can only imagine. Then the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for I bring good tidings of great joy, um, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now we'll talk about that later. And suddenly there is an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I would have loved to see that. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into, in, into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that was come to pass, has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And the Bible says in verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Here's the point. This great honor was bestowed upon poor, lowly shepherds. And God often uses people that are humble and that aren't, in the world's eyes, important. And, um, and that's not something that builds our ego, is it? Um, but that's the truth. Um, you see, God doesn't want us to get the glory, but he wants him to get the glory. And, God, and remember we talked about before, humility is, is basically a biblical term of humility is not thinking of ourselves at all, but thinking of God's glory and other people. And that's the people God wants to use. God wants to use people like that. And the shepherds were bestowed with an awesome blessing and honor. Now, I want you to see as well that Mary and Joseph were also very humble. Skip down to verses 20 and 21. In fact, go all the way down to verse uh, 22. Now, in the days of her purification, this is after the birth of Christ, purification, according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, if you would go, and you don't have to turn there, but if you would turn your Bibles and go to Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, you would see this. By Levitical law, and Mary and Joseph were at the temple, okay, with Christ. So they were following Levitical law. By Levitical law, 
you had to give two animals as an offering. You had to give a lamb as an offering, a sin offering, and then you had to give a pigeon or a turtle dove as an offering as well. But if you were poor, you only had to give the two turtle doves or pigeons, which shows you that Mary and Joseph were very humble financially. They were poor, okay? They were poor. So that's what God used in this circumstances. Now, he also, we see with Mary and Joseph, that Mary was extremely humble as well. If you go to chapter 1, verses 46, when she's told about this, very interesting. And there's a, there's a very important thing we're going to expose here, a false doctrine we're going to expose here as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, knowing of the birth of Christ, knowing she was impregnant by the Spirit of God with Christ, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God. Now look at this, my Savior. The Immaculate Conception is, is, is often misunderstood. That has nothing to do with Mary being conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Immaculate Conception teaches that Mary was born miraculously as well and did not have an earthly father. Therefore, she did not need a savior. She was sinless. But the Bible says she needed a savior, right? Says it. She says it right here. Rejoice in God, my savior. Now look what she says. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. That word maidservant is the word where we get to, to it's the Greek word is doulos, where we get the word slave. She sees herself as a slave for God. She sees herself in a lowly state, a humble state, a state of being um, one that, um, why would you choose me, is the idea there. Why pick me? He looked at me, someone as very lowly in the status of the world, and why would you choose somebody like me? That was her mindset. You see, God either, God, God's process through our lives is to, Put us through trials to make us more like Christ. And God's process in our lives is to make us humble so that we rely on him. Because he cannot use man's strength. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now you take Moses, for example. Moses was second in command to Pharaoh. Moses was a man... That, and you can go through Acts chapter 7, was very eloquent in speech. Moses was a man that was trained in the greatest wisdom in the greatest nation of that time in Egypt. Moses was a commander, a man of mighty acts in war. And, and secular history tells us how he won many wars through his, his military campaigns. And even when he was... When he was uh, uh, met uh, Jephro's uh, daughters in the woods, and he drove out. Remember that he drove out the shepherds. That was pretty impressive that he did that. He was a good fighter, Moses. So God calls Moses, right? And Moses thinks he, he's trying to he's trying to you know kill that Egyptian. And I think again, Acts seven helps with this. 
But I think he's thinking, well, I surrender to God and, and I'm not going to be second in, in control of the Pharaoh. I choose to serve God and I'm going to lead this, this, you know, this, this exodus out of Egypt. And that's part of the reason he killed that slave, uh, so killed the Egyptian, right? And then God says, no, that's not the way I'm going to do it. And he drives him into the wilderness for 40 years as what? A shepherd. Humble. And he takes 40 years of knocking out everything from Moses. And Moses was so humbled, he's like saying to God, I'm not the guy. And then God says, okay, now I can use you. You see? God uses the servants of God are those that are humble or being humbled. And we're always being humbled because we always battle pride. And we always battle um, doing things on our own strength. And so God has to humble us. And he did. He did here with Mary and Joseph. And he's doing it with us. And he did it with David. And he did it with Joseph. That's all those trials were about, is drawing people close to God and knocking out their legs from under. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ also, we can see this. Look at verse 12 in Luke chapter 2. Isn't it interesting with the, with the sheep, or excuse me, with the, um, the shepherds, that the only sign he gave them, you will see a babe, verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. What's the sign? I mean, the wise men, who, by the way, came like two years later, they weren't there at that time, Matthew chapter 2. The wise men had that, you know, that star in the sky. That was a good sign, right? This light in the sky. This is a sign for them. Here's the sign, right? I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot. It's crowded. There's people. And how do I know? It's them. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, that's just cloth, right? And you wrap the baby real tight. And uh, now some people say it could have been the clothing from animals. We don't know that. But I don't think that's the sign because that's pretty common. But he's lying in a manger. That's just a, a, a rectangle box made out of wood or clay, and you put feed in for the animals. And the king of the universe is laying in that box. And that was the sign. And that was, and, and that shows me that was not a common practice. And it shows you the humble beginnings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why was Christ so humble? Probably to give us an example and to show us that the true riches in this world are a close relationship. That's the true riches. Now, the fourth and final point today is the salvation of God. As we step down to verse 25, it's a very lengthy passage here, so we're not going to read through everything. But chapter 2, verse 25, and behold, there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now look at this, it's really interesting. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, if you were a Jew in that day, you would have been, and you were tuned in to the things of God. 
you would have been expecting the Messiah to come around that time because of the prophecies. For example, in Daniel chapter 9, right? This man had, was older and God said, you're not going to die and you, until you see my anointed, the Savior of the world. Now, look at verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in Jesus to do for him according to the temple, excuse me, a custom of the law. So, so Christ's parents are following the law, right? And they come into the temple. So Simeon, we assume he's a, he's a priest, right? And they bring him in. He took him up. So Simeon takes up there. Imagine this fulfillment. Imagine being in shoes. He takes up, he takes him up in his arms and he probably lifts him up and, and he holds him up. And he praises God and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now look at this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. There it is. In his arms, the God man that would come and die on the cross. And he knew it. He was a believer. He knew Christ was going to come. He knew Christ was going to die. And he held up his arms. He knew all that. That's why I said to Mary again. Sword's going to go through your heart. It's going to go through his heart. It's going to go through your heart. So he knew it. God's salvation. God's salvation. When we look at this passage and we think about, when we think about, you and I think about Christmas, it's got to be the fact going beyond the birth to the life and the death that Jesus Christ came for one reason to die on that cross for our sins. Now, I want to conclude in Romans chapter 9. We finish up here in Romans chapter 9 today. Romans chapter 9, verses 30 to 33. The problem and the tragedy in the church today and under Christendom Christendom means that you believe that Jesus Christ is God, right? The church is under Christendom. The problem today is that many people that would say they're Christians are trying to procure their salvation. And the problem with the Jews, Jesus Christ came to the Jews as their Messiah and their Savior, and they rejected him. Why? Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then that Gentiles, that's non-Jews, who did not pursue righteousness have obtained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith? Paul is writing here, primarily focusing in these chapters to the Jews. And he's saying here, the Gentiles, they didn't have all the laws. They didn't have Moses. They didn't have King David. They didn't have the parting of the Red Sea. They didn't have the, the conquest through Joshua. They didn't have all that. And yet, and yet there's, there's, there's Gentiles compared to Jews. There's more Gentiles who have obtained to righteousness. Why? Why are they in a the right standing with God? Because of faith. Pistua. They understood that they're sinners and that they're lost. And that the only way to be right with God 
is to put all of your trust in Christ and him alone. What about the Jews? What about many religious today? And by the way, here's a good question to ask religious people. Okay. I lived in a religious country for 19 years old. And there's a lot of, um, they use, they, they try to twist languages and, and, and semantics in words. If you died tonight and you stood before God, would he let you into heaven and why? Good question. Because then you'll see what people are trusting. I had a woman one time, all the language was correct. And I asked her that question because she wanted to be baptized. And then she went in and told her all the good things she did. You're not ready to be baptized because you're not a believer. Now, here's the problem. Here's the Jews. Now, what about the Jews? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Again, Israel, that had all those things for all those years. Why, Paul says, because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. You see the problem? Yes, we believe Jesus is God. Yes, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. But we've got to keep the law of Moses to get saved. And they stumbled over Christ because that's what he was showing them. That's what he was teaching them. He was teaching them the truth. And so the tragedy of Christmas, the tragedy of Christendom, is that many, although, will profess Jesus as God and may go to churches and may even read their Bibles, they're trying to procure their salvation. And Paul said in Romans chapter 4, through the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the truth of the word of God. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth and being born as a man, living a sinless life, a life of complete purity in harmony with you. And then dying on a cross at the hands of his people that he came to. But yet he would say on that cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they did. And I believe that saying so moved one of the thieves on the cross. That he repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father may we be a people that will shine as lights in this needy world. Especially during this time. When people think of Christ. Because your desire is that no man would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And we thank you for your heart and your love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support, and we hope you have a God-blessed day.